Welcome to my podcast, Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. This is your host, Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. And my hope is that the talks and conversations in this podcast will help support both your teaching and or your practice of yin yoga and meditation. In this episode, I speak with meditation teacher Oren J. Sofer about his new book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. This is an immensely important topic, particularly for the moment we're all living through, a moment marked by ever-deepening divides of political and ideological tribalism. In this moment, communicating effectively in a way that leads to collaborative win-win solutions is no small task, and yet... As Oren points out, this capacity can be trained, and his book, Say What You Mean, is the perfect manual for how to undertake that training. I'll leave a link for Oren's book in the show notes, as well as a link to Oren's website, which is orenjsofer.com, where you'll find lots of wonderful free resources on meditation and mindful communication. But as a selling point on his book, Consider what neuroscientist and author of The Buddha's Brain, Rick Hansen, had to say. Quote, If I had just one book to recommend about interpersonal communication, it would be this one. End quote. And personally, if I were to take an informal audit of the unnecessary suffering I've experienced in my life, I'd have to say that a great majority of that suffering has stemmed from interpersonal conflict. And as a Dharma practitioner committed to the reduction of unnecessary suffering, I'm inspired by Oren's exploration of mindful communication and speech to upgrade my own communication capacities, especially when dynamics are challenging. So I hope you enjoy this first installment of my interview with Oren. But before jumping into the conversation, I want to take a moment and thank the supporters of this podcast who responded to my appeal for support by sharing the podcast with friends or with our social media networks. Your support in sharing this podcast means a tremendous amount to me, and I really want to wholeheartedly thank you for that help and support. Okay, now without further ado, I bring you Oren J. Sofer. Okay, so today I am here with Oren J. Sofer. Oren, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me. Um, so as a way to introduce you um, and start our conversation, um, you're actually a, kind of a special guest for me to have on. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but roughly 17 or so years ago, okay, it was the fall, December, sorry, December of 2001, Mm-hmm. So just after 9-11, and I showed up at the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts to sit my very first silent meditation retreat. And when I arrived, there was you. They were, you were sitting at the registration desk welcoming retreatants coming in, taking their sort of orientation papers and um, uh-huh. giving, giving them a room assignment. And, you know, I was, I remember being kind of struck by, uh, 
your presence. Like you, there was, there was a, a way that um, you were just wholeheartedly welcoming me, a total stranger to this place, um, as though you were taking a friend, a long lost friend in, into your own home. Oh. And, and uh, I thought that was, it really did leave a lasting impression on me. And oh, then, that's, yeah, that's touching to hear. And I gathered based on what I saw or observed that retreat that you were working in the kitchen at that time. That's right. And as a cook, and I think maybe four years later, I came back. I, got, I started going, I got kind of really into retreats and was going a few times a year. But I uh, remember going in for one where I was a work study retreatant and was working in the kitchen. And you were still the cook at that point. And uh, in silence, you approached me one one day during, I don't know, I was putting away tea leaves or something, and you said, you gave me this dish of something, and you said, it's frozen banana. <laughs> you had produced this, you know, this like faux, faux ice cream yes. with frozen yes. banana. So anyway, I hadn't seen you for a while after those kind of initial encounters at, uh, at the Insight Meditation Society. And then, I think it was like in... 2009 or 10, mm-hmm. um, a Thai forest monastic, Ajahn Sachido, who I gather you've studied with a lot, was teaching yeah. a kind of a small retreat in northern Vermont. And I think maybe there are about 10 or 12 people on that retreat. And That's you, sh- right. you showed up. I think you drove the, the, the teacher up. And, yeah, um, yeah. So, and I think even we, sat, we sat next to each other then. Um, so those are, there's some touch points in our, our, our history. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's particularly meaningful to have you on the podcast. Um, this is a podcast that focuses on the intersection of what, what is called yin yoga, which is a contemplative form of still yoga. Um, mm-hmm. You may be familiar mm-hmm. with it. Um, Chinese medicine and meditation. And um, Great. The, the, the qualities of somatic experience and, and meditation that you have, I think, will be well received in the audience of this podcast. But the, one of the main reasons we're having this conversation is that uh, in the intervening years, you've become somewhat of a rising star in the mindfulness world. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, had a, I had a great comment about that the other, just the other day. Um, so, yeah, you know, as, as your listeners pr- might know from your intro or so, you know, I have a book that just came out on communication and mindfulness. And so um, we were interviewing people for a housemate here in uh, California where I live and I was chatting with the person who interviewed and, and she had mentioned my name to someone that she knew. And she goes, he goes, Oren J. Hmm. I think he's low key meditation famous. <laughs> and I love that. Cause like meditation famous is already low key enough. <laughs> it's such a small world. So I enjoyed the kind of downplayed, like, yeah, I've heard his name before. Yeah. So. Well, I don't know how low key it is. I mean, I, I became aware of your rise, um, I think, through uh, seeing your name associated with Dan Harris at the Ten Percent Happier. So, you're, are you are you doing work with him, collaboration with him? Yeah, yeah, I've um, I've partnered with him and the folks at ABC and Ten Percent Happier to create a couple of uh, online courses for their app on emotions and relationships and communications. And Dan and I have recorded a couple podcasts together as well. Awesome. So, I, I, you know, I think that kind of disqualifies you from low-key fame. <laughs> not, to put, not to put the pressure on too much. We can argue mindfully about that another time. Sure, sure, sure. 
So, um, yeah, as you mentioned just now, you have written a book on mindfulness and communication and particularly integrating mindfulness and nonviolent communication. Yeah. So I want to spend this episode and maybe the next few episodes getting into some of your thoughts around how to more effectively communicate, how these different practices are offer complementary, supportive, reinforcing strategies for better communication. Right. Um, but maybe as way of entry into the topic, um, to start with how you came to, you know, came to nonviolent communication as, as a, a way of enhancing your own communication. And what did you find specifically may have been missing in your own mm. mindfulness training that wasn't being realized in your own communication. Right. Well, I mean, that's just it, what you just said, which was that it, there was a gap. And it was actually at that time, right around the time that we met, you know, just, just within a few months after that, that, so I was on staff at IMS. I had been practicing for five or six years. I'd actually just gotten back from India um, uh, shortly uh, before we met. And... Um, so I, I was feeling very deeply uh, committed and connected to the meditation practice. Um, I was, my heart felt very open when I would meditate. I would feel a sense of um, clarity about my purpose in life, um, a sense of meaning in uh, both the path and service. I would uh, feel very inspired by the values of contemplative practice in the Buddhist path, you know, patience, generosity, compassion, truthfulness, kindness, equanimity, all of these very powerful, uplifting, beautiful states of mind. And as soon as I would have a disagreement or a conflict with the coworker in the kitchen at IMS, the Insight Meditation Society, somehow it would all vanish. It would all just kind of evaporate, and I would be right back in my patterns from my family of origin, you know. And if I can just interject for one second, because I just got off a retreat myself at IMS, and what you just described around the internal con- uh, contemplative experience really resonates. And I had this myself where I was out there in the depth of the retreat and felt like I have absolute clarity about these situations now. It's This is the new way forward. It's going to be, I'm convinced when I get off retreat, when I speak to this person, there's going to be this profound wisdom and equanimity and compassion that just meets meets every turn of a conversation from here on yeah. out right yeah. and what's you know it, it's kind of it's actually that the difference between that moment and uh you know falling on our face <laughs> is is actually there's a seed of insight there into anatta into self selflessness or the empty nature of self because yeah in that moment there is clarity there is wisdom there is compassion and were we to have that conversation in that moment we probably would be a lot more skillful and clear right but the the self that's arising and thinking those thoughts in that moment is conditioned by the context, the mental factors that are present. And, you know, a week, a month later, when we're in the flow of our life and the mindfulness and concentration are not as strong, the heart is not as open, right? In in that situation, 
it's a different self. The, 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 the construction of the self is kind of formulated differently and we have act, we don't have access to those other, um, deeper qualities and clarity that we had in a different context at a different moment. So, you know, so I had that experience, that experience over and over again at work. Um, and then, you know, at, at back at home when I would go visit my folks or my family, it was, you know, it was even worse. I'd had even less, uh, patience or, um, choice over how I was relating. And so that really stood out to me. I said, you know, this is, this is not, um, this is not enough, right? The, the, this practice isn't just for sitting still. It's meant to change my life. I knew enough to recognize that this needs to show up in my relationships in the everyday for it to really be meaningful and useful. And so that was when I came into contact um, with the work of Marshall Rosenberg, uh, who is the founder of Nonviolent Communication. And I was floored. Hmm. I was like, you know, I feel very fortunate in that I have fallen in love with a practice or a path, not once, not twice, but three times in my life. And the first was with the Dharma, with Buddhist meditation. And it was like instant, you know, it was, I don't want to sound too romantic, but it really was like love at first sight. You know, I heard my first Dharma talk and all of a sudden there was this inner knowing of like, oh, this is why I'm here. Like, and not just here in India at this monastery, like, this is why I'm here on the planet, you know, to, to come in contact with and learn this stuff. So when I, when I found out about mind, uh, nonviolent communication, I was just, um, so inspired. I said, wow, I, I had no idea you can actually learn how to communicate better. Like you can study this stuff. There's a whole system, there's training. Uh, so I was like, um, you know. Uh, hungry like a sponge just for for this learning. So I started sitting, uh, attending workshops and retreats and trainings, uh, and that started to provide a bridge between the silent inner contemplative practice and the mental training that I was doing and how to actually translate it and bring it out into my relationships and communication. So to go back to kind of the, just the original question you asked, what I've found in my own training and study and practice is that, you know, the, the Buddhist tradition is pretty amazing and unique, as you know, in the level of clarity and depth and um, specificity in tools and techniques for training the mind. You know, some people refer to it as a spiritual technology, like it's a it's an inner technology of how to really deeply understand and transform uh, the mechanisms of consciousness, how how they arise, are formed, uh, function, and reinforce themselves in relationship to moment to moment experience, uh, and and yet. The, the, even though the teachings are there on right speech, wise speech, you know, to say that which is true, useful, kind, and timely, um, uh, to avoid false speech, harsh speech, divisive speech, and idle or useless speech. There's, there's wonder, many wonderful teachings, but there's not a lot of practical how-to there's kind of this assumption that if you meditate and practice mindfulness enough, you'll kind of figure it out. And my experience and the experience of many other practitioners I know is that that's not always the case, that we need some extra support to really unpack 
some of the patterning and the conditioning that shows up on the relational level and in particular in our habits of communication. Right. I think that point you just made, though, that there is this assumption that um, if I were to practice sufficiently, if I was to go deep enough and, and attain enough realization of a certain level in my own practice, that all my actions downstream from that realization would naturally come into line and just iron themselves out, like particularly with speech. Um, and I have not found that to be the case at all. And <laughs> on a personal uh, disclosure level, I, I mean, this is the area that I, I just get into the most snarls. And I, and mm-hmm. I, and I, the question I had for you, the sort of quick follow-up question was prior to finding nonviolent communication, uh, that whole approach, were you at all blaming yourself for insufficient depth of understanding in terms of like not figuring out the speech part? Because, um, I feel like that, that in the, in the, the, the sort of the, the circles that I move in, you'll hear this frequently. Like if someone behaves in a way that seems fueled by anger or, or annoyance, then, right. you know, then there's like, oh, well, they just, they have, they have so many concepts in their head or there's a phrase like, so, so they just haven't gone far enough or they, they've, they, they still have work to do. And, right. Yeah, exactly. Their practice isn't strong enough or. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there was, there was some of that. Absolutely. Um, uh, it was probably a little bit more under the surface. Like I wasn't as conscious of it, but definitely a lot of self-judgment, self-criticism, you know, had to have a, ha, had a pretty harsh self inner, inner tyrant self-critic. Mm. And, uh, so that's, um, kind of worn, worn away a lot over the years, um, that's good. So, yeah. So it was a relief to find this, this practice and realize like, Oh, it's not just me. Like I can actually learn about this stuff. And so that was really the intention behind writing the book was to, was to weave together these different modalities of meditation, mindfulness, nonviolent communication. And then the third, just to close that, that other loop, the third practice that I fell in love with, um, which is just the whole domain of somatic practices, body-based practices, and particularly the work of Peter Levine, um, who developed this method of healing called somatic experiencing for working with trauma and resolving trauma. So I did a lot of training in that, and I found that understanding and working with the nervous system patterning underneath our styles of communication relationship was necessary to really shift out of old habits into new, uh, new ways of relating and being. Right. I, and I definitely want to talk to you about those three um, sort of strategic frameworks that you have now that you talk about in the book, the mindfulness part, the nonviolent communication, and then the somatic part. Um, you did mention there that uh, in, in traditional kind of Buddhist teaching on wise speech, you know, there's the idea of teaching, saying th- things only when they're true, when they're useful, when they're timely. Um, in my own experience, whenever I try to integrate that that framework around my speech, I find myself incredibly silent. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, 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 what's fascinating? I mean, yeah. And, the, and then the fourth one is is kind, which is which is important. And so, um, it's true. A lot of what we say is is. Um, not necessary, useful, uh, not necessary, not useful. Um, 
you know, which is a little bit why I chose the title for my book to be Say What You Mean, you know, like what's actually important? What what, what do you want to communicate? Um, but I think that one of the reasons why when we're taking those guidelines of saying that which is true, useful, kind, and timely, why we maybe end up being so silent is because we have something to say, but we don't have the words. We don't know how to balance the truthfulness and the kindness, those are the two that are often the the hardest. It seems like either either I'm going to be honest and just tell you what I think, which usually means blaming you or shooting you down or being harsh, uh, or, right? Being harsh, you know, um, or I'm going to be kind, which means suppressing what's actually happening for me. And neither is useful. So how do we bring those two together and actually speak our truth, be fully authentic, while still staying connected to our heart? While not necessarily, while not needing to resort to a language of blame and judgment and criticism, and so this is a lot of the work of nonviolent communication is starting to understand that perceptual conditioning in our mind that views things through a lens of blame. So one of the the way that that most of us have been conditioned by our family, our culture, our society, our religion is that when something's not working for us, um, we don't like something someone's doing, we want them to do it differently, uh, whether it's personally, professionally, or in society, the way that that occurs to us, the way that we perceive it and think about it is in terms of what's wrong with the other person, right? You're being selfish, arrogant, you know, you're not considerate enough or kind enough. It's all the stuff about you. So now, if we approach somebody with with that narrative, um, they're likely to get defensive, you know? So if we step back and consider, if we want somebody to listen to us, um, be open to hearing what we have to say, and hopefully be willing to reconsider or change their behavior in some way, you know, how useful of a strategy is it to blame them? <laughs> And tell them all the things that are wrong with them that they should know better, right? It's like, but that's what we do because that's how we've been conditioned. Mm -hmm. So so what, what we learn through the tools of nonviolent communication and that training is to actually see that what's happening is our, we have certain needs that aren't met. There's something important to us that's not happening. But instead of owning that, instead of being able to talk about our own direct experience, how we feel, the emotions that are present... And more importantly, why? What, what, what are we valuing? What matters to us that we're even feeling an emotion about this? Instead of being able to name that and share that, we project our unmet needs onto others and think there's something wrong with them. So, you know, classic roommate situation, right? You and I live together, let's say, and I like things tidier than you do. You become... A slob, messy, inconsiderate, right? Selfish, all Th those. This isn't limited to roommates. This this applies no, yeah. in marriage. <laughs> well, well spouses are roommates. Spouses, yeah, yeah, yeah. People who live together, cohabitation. Now, if the tables are turned and I happen to like things a little bit more, you know, loose than you do, now you become a neat freak, controlling, anal, obsessive, Right. Same thing happens at work, right? The person is either micromanaging or obsessive compulsive or they're unprofessional, disorganized. So whatever's happening with me becomes projected out as something insufficient, wrong with you. 
And that's, that is not a useful um, framework for actually having an effective conversation. Because yeah, that, that moving from that view, it, it drives a kind of other changing agenda. If I just, if I just get you to see your errors and right. in a cold, in the cool light of rationality, you're going to, you're going to correct your, your behavior and we'll, we'll, we'll get on fine. Right. And there, there are two problems with that. You're pointing to the second one. One, the one that I've mentioned is, you know, most people don't take very well to that. You know, Most people don't enjoy being criticized and blamed, so they get defensive. Uh, but the other issue that you're pointing to, um, the other issue is that it's incredibly disempowering for us. Right. So when my sense of well-being, satisfaction and peace is dependent on you changing, who's got the power? Me. You have all the power, right? Now, if I, if I'm, and which is why there's often so much tension and frustration and desperation when we're trying to work something out, because we have disempowered ourselves through the way that we're perceiving and thinking about, and therefore languaging and speaking about the situation. If we're able to be aware of our own feelings and our own values or needs, what actually matters to us underneath everything? We've got a lot more power and choice because when I'm aware of what's important to me, when I say, you know, uh, I really like things to be tidy and clean, uh, I feel at ease and relaxed. It brings a sense of beauty. I start to have more options and choices. I'm aware of what I actually want, what the end result is, what it is I'm looking for, which is ease, beauty, peace of mind. Now I have more choices and options for how to go about meeting those needs instead of just trying to control you, which, as we know, doesn't work, right? Even if I could control you, even when we are able to somehow blame or shame or manipulate or coerce the other person to do what we want, it comes at a cost, right? Yeah. We, we have to pay the bill for that later in terms of resentment, uh, loss of goodwill, um, loss of trust, quality of the relationship. So, so those strategies are quite limited. But um, this approach uh, opens up a doorway to a very different way of relating, which is uh, focusing on developing shared understanding of what matters in the situation, not just to me, but to both of us, and then working creatively together uh, to, you know, find uh, what's known in communication and mediation fields as a win-win. I was just gonna, yeah, I was just going to say that it, it sounds like you're trying to shift the dynamic from a zero-sum dynamic where outcomes are inversely correlated. Like if you win, I lose a zero sum dynamic to a non-zero dynamic where we're both our interests are, are correlated. Are, are, exactly. Are, exactly. Work with each other. Um, so, so in your book, you, you lay out um, sort of a, th- so what I might call, I think you would call us in the back, back end of the book, the three foundations of sort of effective communication. And, and actually, you know, this is sort of, there's this, this is implicit in the way you approach and express everything in the book, but you use the word communication very specifically because it's not just the words. It's not just the conversational language. It's the entire gestalt of your presence, your your body language, your facial expression. It's, it's not just the language itself. Um, but you do have these sort of th- these three big pieces of, or three big strategies of, of a foundational approach. And uh, they are, I think, presence, quality of presence, curiosity, and focus. 
Um, so they are so there are three foundations of training, and then three uh, steps or practices for each. Uh, so the first, so the three foundations of training are presence intention and attention. So these are the fundamental capacities of mind and heart that we cultivate and train ourselves in with communication and relationship to have more choice, flexibility, um, empowerment, and also to be able to create the quality of connections and relationships that we want in our life, as well as to be more effective in whatever we're doing. Um, So with each of those, there's a specific practice or step. So for example, the foundation of presence, which uh, which means that we are not just mindful, but embodied. We're really here in a grounded uh, and real way. You know, all of our faculties are available and present in the moment. It doesn't just mean feeling good. It it means that we know what's happening and we're connected to it inside. So for presence, the training is to lead with presence in conversations and relationships, which just which has many different dimensions to it. It's a very rich practice as I explore in the book. But fundamentally, it means that we we start by showing up. Because for two reasons. Number one, um, we can't understand anything if we're not here. (laughs) It's the prerequisite for any kind of conversation or meaningful communication. And if, you know, if we just step back and consider, like, how many arguments, misunderstandings, fights, you know, um, falling outs have happened simply because someone wasn't paying attention, and misunderstood. So that's one reason. The other reason is uh, that the more aware we are, the more choice we have. So when we are present, when we're aware, grounded, mindful, um, we can navigate whatever comes up in the conversation with more ease, including our own internal reactivity. Presence gives us a base, a solid internal base from which to meet the challenges that inevitably uh, emerge in a in a relationship and a conversation. So, um, you know, so one of the main tools for leading with presence, actually, I'll share two with uh, with folks who want to begin to explore this. So one is to just see if you can bring some awareness or attention into your body as you're speaking or listening with someone else? Can you feel the weight of your body or can you feel your hands or your feet? Because when we're aware of a sensation, we're in the present. Because sensations don't exist in the past or the future and they're not in our, uh, they're not taking us off into thoughts. So that's one way to just start to bring more presence and awareness and groundedness into our conversations. Another very powerful and accessible way of doing this uh, is to pause. Mm-hmm. So just a short pause like I just took. It doesn't need to be long. But when we take a pause in the flow of our speech, it allows us to consider what we're saying and have more choice, um, more intentionality, more clarity about where we're going in the conversation. And there's obviously a lot of refinements to that, ways of pausing, ways to insert a pause, how to take a pause with um, without the other person interrupting you because they think you're finished, and, and I explore all of that in the book. So this is Leading with Presence.
So leading with presence and learning to pause in conversation. We'll pause the conversation there, and in the next episode with Oren J. Sofer, we'll continue to explore a mindful approach to nonviolent communication and what that looks like more specifically. I highly recommend picking up a copy of Oren's fantastic book, Say What You Mean. There's a link for you in the show notes, as well as a link to Oren's personal website. Thanks so much for listening today, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.